two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman, and it's great being with you here this fabulous, wonderful afternoon. And indeed, it's my first time in the brand new studio. Great place to be. It's really pleasant in here. It's a wonderful studio. So the next time you're looking for Chai FM, just come into the brand new studio at Biyachat offices. And maybe we'll do a live interactive show together. You tell me what you want to talk about in this show. Last week, I missed the show because I was in the Holy Land. I was in Israel for the South African Rabbinical Conference. And that was an amazing, amazing experience in every way about it. And it's just great always being in Israel and experiencing the vibe, the rejuvenation, the vibrant Jewish spirit that's returned to our Holy Land after nearly two millennia, although there was always an uninterrupted Jewish presence in Israel. But considering the various tragedies that did befall our people from the various different situations, whether it was from the destruction of the temple, from the first temple, and then the second temple, uh, 400 and. 80 years, uh, 490 years later, there were different times that Jews were banned from Jerusalem. The only time they're actually allowed to come into Yerushalayim was on Tisha B'Av, on the saddest day of the calendar. So it's great to see what has returned to our Holy Land. And the conference itself was really incredible. You know, in general, there's an annual rabbinic conference for all the South African rabbis. Rabbi Hendler, kudos goes out to him for really putting together, coordinating this conference with every single detail. So if you see Rabbi Hendler, just tell him that the rabbis are most grateful. I know that I'm speaking in the name of all. I know what they put into it. I know what it takes to put together conferences and retreats. We do these things. And to know what he's put into it, I really give him a, a tremendous yashikach. The, the conference takes place every year here in South Africa. And the point, of course, is to have the Rabbis getting together and meeting each other, the colleagues, you know, year round, we're all busy with taking care of our communities, and our congregations. I know for myself, I'm involved with Chabad Seniors programs in the Jewish Learning Institute. And we have my own shul in Santon Central, which is, thank God, a growing, dynamic, vibrant place. And if you're ever in the Santon Central area, please don't hesitate. Don't be shy. Come on inside. You'll see our big menorah lighting up Santon. We're right across the Chow Train opposite the Michelangelo entrance, Mandela Square. So this is a perfect time to go visit Mandela Square, of course, the big statue there of Madiba, and yesterday commemorating his 100th birthday. So if you're there anytime this weekend, please don't hesitate to join us. Pop inside. We're going to have a whole program. In fact, this Tisha B'Av, we're even going to be serving food. Yeah, I promise. This Tisha B'Av, I hope Mashiach will be here by then, but we're going to have a, a really fabulous Time. What am I saying? Tisha B'Av is a, is, is a sad day. But this year, Tisha B'Av, as we know, is on Shabbos. Right? Today is the 7th of the month of Av. That means tomorrow is the 8th. So technically speaking, tomorrow evening should be Tisha B'Av. And we should be on the floor lamenting, reading Eicha, lamentations, and during the day, reading the various keynote, the elegies. But because it's Shabbos... The fast is postponed. The only fast that we actually observe on Shabbos would be Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So because it is postponed, we will be eating this year on Tisha, the 9th of Av. But all of the other 
observances related to Tisha B'Av are done instead of on Saturday. They will be actually begin Saturday night before sunset, so about 5.30 or so, just after 5.30 p.m. As the sun is descending, the fast begins. So make sure to eat well on Shabbos because if you are healthy, you shouldn't be eating or drinking or doing any of the other prohibitions that one is forbidden to do on Yom Kippur, which includes eating, drinking, anointing oneself, so no perfumes, no lathering on any creams or any other of those wonderful products from the Dead Sea. Those you'll have to wait till Sunday night to use any of that. No bathing on Tisha B'Av, no intimacy, and no leather shoes are worn on Tisha B'Av. And of course, we spend time in the shul. I'm sure your shul definitely, probably every shul has some exciting activities going on. We will be having, if Mashiach isn't here by then, the reading of Eicha, Lamentations in the traditional tune, which will be followed then by a very interesting video presentation, World War One and the Jews, with Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Jacobson, which will be followed by Woman in Gold. So if you haven't seen that film, you wanted to see it, well, there's no cost and there's no popcorn. So that will be taking place at Santon Central Shul on Saturday night. We will begin with Meyerov at 6.30 p.m., followed by reading of Eicha and the two films. And then on Sunday, we have a full program as well, including, listen to this, what we have special, you know, each show has to have its own unique gimmick. So we have a model of the Holy Temple, model of the second base of Mikdash, which was built by one of the wonderful senior citizens at our Chabad program, which takes place every day at Chabad Savoy. And what we did this week at Chabad Seniors Club was reviewed various aspects and elements, details of the temple. So Irvine Katzer, who built, it took him nearly five years to build this beautiful, magnificent, detailed model of the second temple. We also have a model of the Mishkan, the tabernacle in which the Jews dwelt for the 40 years in the desert, the tabernacle, the sanctuary, the Mishkan. Of course, in the 40 years of the desert, it was portable. And then eventually, as Jews came to Israel, they began dismantling. Well, it wasn't dismantling. It took 14 years till they settled the land. You know, it takes us Jews some times. There was still the conquest of the land. There was still division of the land. 14 years till they all settled. And during that time, the Mishkan was in a place called Gilgal. There is actually still some kind of, I'm not sure if they have for Gilgal, but they built a permanent structure in a place called Shiloh. And it actually lasted there for 369 years. That wasn't the Beis HaMikdash. That was not the temple. In Shiloh was built a more permanent Mishkan, a sanctuary. It still didn't have a roof, but it was built of stone, proper structure. And that structure ultimately came down and the temple was built in its place permanently in Jerusalem a long time later. So that is... Uh, some interesting history, and perhaps we will go through it in more detail if you join us on Sunday, where we could talk about the journeys of the Jews, the conquest of the land, the material they used, and in fact, we have a, a fascinating film that we'll be showing at some point on Sunday. Don't we don't have a plan of exact time, probably after the reading of Kinos in the morning, so early afternoon, we will most likely be showing this film in which you could join us in watching a video of the Second Temple era 
on how that the structure, the magnificence, on Herod's renovations, how that was all done. So that's some of what we've got, and we have a model of both the sanctuary, the Mishkan, as well as of the temple built by our friend Irvine. So just telling you a moment ago, you know how we Jews digress, as I just did. We had a really wonderful time. Some people asked if I could share a little bit about our rabbinic conference, and I'll just tell you a little bit about some of the speakers we had, because it was indeed really exceptional. The quality of the speakers and the presenters is simply, I don't know if I want to call it breathtaking, but it was it was incredible, very good guest speakers and presenters, good workshops. I'll tell you about my favorite one in a moment. It was an all-star lineup of great speakers, including locally uh, our, our chief rabbi, as well as our Av Beit Din Rabbi Kurstag. And there was Israel's chief rabbi, David Lau, presented to us. We had a Shilas Uchuvas, which means a question and answer symposium, so to say, with different great halachic authorities of Israel, including Rabbi Herschel Schachter, who is the one of the great teachers at Yeshiva University in New York. He's a world-famous Gaon whose familiarity with halacha is actually quite mind-blowing, and he really filled with questions on so many different topics with no advance notice. It was questions, very relevant questions, that many of our rabbis in the community have, and most likely these questions are from you, the congregants in the community, because if the rabbi doesn't have the answer to the question and... Most likely, your rabbi says, I don't know. The honest answer, we, you know, oftentimes I use the example to illustrate this. You go to your doctor, you can't ask your GP necessarily questions related to specific cardiac or neurological issues. Because, yes, the GP is a general practitioner. I would say most rabbis are, in that sense, general rabbis. We have, you know, a general knowledge, but not in the specifics. You go to the base then. And at the Bethlehem, we have various rabbis who specialize. Their specialty is they have mastered the laws of kashrut. And you could ask them any questions related to kosher matters. That is their field, their specialty. Yes, they might have information and knowledge about matters related to infertility, but that's not their specialty. And then again, we have rabbis who perhaps are really familiar with laws of infertility or laws related to... Uh, you name it, marriage and divorce and conversion. And there are rabbis who specialize. Maybe they have one or two or three or more specialties. So when you speak to a, a gaon like that, a genius of halacha, who really has such a diverse knowledge of so many different aspects of Jewish law, it's quite impressive and well worth the opportunity to hear from such a rabbi. We also had another great speaker rabbi who's also a tremendous halachic authority. His name is Rav Asher Weiss. And he wrote a, a work called Minchas Asher. He dealt with some of the most complex issues of uh, genetics and medicine. And I believe he is the chief rabbi of Hadassah Hospital in Israel. He's written many works on halacha and has also a vast knowledge of halacha. We had speakers such as Rabbi Wine, a very well-known historian and uh, a great storyteller, well worth hearing him, and he came and addressed us also about matters of Jewish history. There was a Rabbi Professor Avraham Steinberg, director of the Talmudical Encyclopedia, and he's the author of the Encyclopedia of Jewish Medical Ethics. 
He was actually awarded the Israel Prize, and he spoke with us and shared with us his knowledge and a lot of his information. There was a justice of Israel Supreme Court, Judge Neil Handel. So that was also interesting. He talked about different aspects of related to uh, politics and law, leadership. We had so many wonderful speakers, including Rabbi Dr. Avram Tversky. So it was a wonderful experience. Not only that, we didn't only spend our time in a conference room with the air conditioning blasting and listening to lectures, but we also had the opportunity to go on a tiul. And our tiul this time took us to the Jordan River Valley. It was quite an interesting experience. The tour guide was Major General Uzi Dayan, nephew of Moshe Dayan, who conquered the Temple Mount in 1967. He's the one we hear his voice, him and Yitzchak Rabin, Harabait Biadenu, the Temple Mount is in our hands. So he took us, he was our tour guide, and he took us to various interesting places, including Qumran. If you recall, on many episodes back, although I'm sure if you go to Chai FM's website, you could find the podcasts of those episodes. So a while back, we discussed great debates in Jewish history. I think this would be November time. And if you could find that particular show, you will recall we talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was, to me, a very fascinating topic. The scrolls that were found in the, ca- found in the caves in the Jordan Valley, Jordan Valley area in a place called Qumran. In this area lived a sect of Jews called the Tzedukim, the Sedusites. These are people who believed only in the written Torah, and they objected any of the oral law, any of the rabbinic traditions. Very interesting sect of Jewish people. Of course, their traditions were contrary to the halachically accepted way of life. In fact, they called the rest of the Jews Purushim, the, the separate ones. So we got to see those the area where they lived, the caves in which they resided, and the community of the style how they lived, as well as the caves where their Dead Sea Scrolls were found. So that was really interesting. Of course, they took us then to the Jordan River, literally at the border of Israel and Jordan. And it's it's interesting because it's the Jordan River is a place that Joshua got to split the river for the Jews to cross into Israel. As our tour guide put it, he called it the very first Aliyah. So that's the place where the first Jews come, arrived into Israel. Well, obviously our patriarchs and matriarchs lived there. But after the time of Avraham and Sarah and Yitzchak and Rivka, we're talking about after the Jews descend to Egypt and finally return after 42 years, after 40 years wandering in the desert, the first place where they entered Israel from was the Jordan River, and this is the place where we got to spend time and experience, actually ate lunch there. Many Christians also have a personal significance to that place, and we watched many people tunking in the river. So that was an interesting experience. So we had quite a uh, quite an experience there. Again, there were very many speakers. I'll just share with you one of my favorite was a professor by the name of Simcha Leibovich. Now, Simcha Leibovich managed to take the rabbis, 40-something rabbis who were there, nearly 50 rabbis, and get us all singing and dividing us into groups and competing. He called us radio stations. Some of us have familiarity with radio stations. 
Of course, many of the rabbis have slots right here on Soul to Soul High FM, and some come in as guest speakers on different other shows on High FM. And so each of us, each all the rabbis were divided into four teams, and he got the rabbi singing, and he sort of created a little competition, and different teams would lose or win depending on the game he played with us. But the point and purpose of this activity that he did with us, and he had the rabbis playing a game. It was a very interactive workshop, which got me thinking about what sermons you enjoy better. Is it one where the rabbi pontificates? Sort of what's going on right now, a monologue. I'm just talking and you're just listening. Of course, you always have the chance to call into the studio. You're most welcome to keep me company in that sense if you'd like. Although I'm not bored. This is this is good. I get WhatsApps and SMSs from people, so that is also great. And at least you throw some questions in and keep it interesting. Well, he certainly kept it interesting. But the purpose he was trying to, to illustrate to us was how everyone wants to be a winner. Everyone wants to be a winner in their whatever it might be. And if the rabbis of the community could see every congregant, every member of our community as a winner, we all possess those leadership qualities, then I think it puts us into the right direction. And indeed, if we are this week getting ready to commemorate one of the saddest days in our calendar, we might actually all feel like losers, not exactly like winners, because we're going now into a very sad time, a time of mourning, a time of sadness. It's a very difficult and harsh time for us as Jewish people. So how do we relate to that? Well, the truth of the matter is, and I address it in this week's Jewish Report Parsha column, although I originally wrote a 900-word article and had to somehow summarize it into 500 words if it didn't all fit. And the message that I think is important for us all to take home with ourselves is that indeed we are winners. The only reason why God would allow for our temple, for the holy base of Mikdash, for God's home to be destroyed, to be demolished, and it's already 1,948 years since that happened in the year 70 of the Common Era. You only demolish something according to Jewish law, and God has to keep the laws that God gives us. In fact, we say that in our prayers every morning, Magi Devarlov Yaakov, Chukav Umishpatav Israel, that the laws that God commands and instructs us God observes them too. So then the question, of course, is, is it not baltashris? Is it not a waste to just destroy? But the law says you're only allowed to destroy, for example, a shul if you're going to renovate and build a much nicer place. Look at the beautiful new studio, Chai FM, a wonderful, fabulous, great new studio. The only way you can make these changes is if you're going to do something even better. And that being the case, we know that a much greater, fabulous future lie ahead. And that's why God allowed for the destruction of the temple. And we'll talk more about those leadership qualities when we'll be right back. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 IFM. And welcome back. I'm Rabbi Arkivman. It's wonderful being with you again this afternoon. If you're just tuning in, we were talking about the rabbi's trip to Israel. And now I wanted to digress and talk a little bit about the idea that Simcha Leibovich expressed to us, which was that everyone wants to be a winner. And indeed, we all are winners. Even though the temple's destroyed, the only purpose why God would allow it is to build a much grander, a much greater future temple. And I think that's a very important idea to apply in our own lives, not just regarding the temple, 
but perhaps any other personal challenges that we face where we feel that we've gone through some kind of difficulty. And I'm sure you've heard me talk about this before, the concept of whatever challenge you face, see it as a window of opportunity. Whatever bumps you encounter, see what is the opportunity, the possibility of finding something better, What, how this could serve perhaps as a springboard for something better. And it's fascinating because if, you know, we live in Santon, my family and I, for since 2010, since the World Cup, we've been involved with Jewish life in the center of Santon, where we started offering Shabbos hospitality for visitors for the World Cup in 2010. And since then, we operated a shul out of conference room space at the Garden Court Hotel and at Village Walk. We had a bookshop. The Chabad bookstore run by Rabbi Katz was there and there was a Cafe 613 and our shul was also stationed there and I had a daily Minchamar of Minyan that I used to run there and sometimes Shachris as well and that sort of was the impetus for our shul to come together. And then in 2012, they told us you better find other premises because Village Walk is coming down. What do we do? Where do we go? And we had to look for other premises. Thank God there was a church just up the road, little old building. It was a heritage site, so no one wanted to touch it because you can't really do much there. And the church, for whatever reason, just wasn't busy. They, it wasn't working for them. They were looking for a buyer. We were looking to buy a place. The shidduch was made. And thank God, thanks to Nady Kirsch, who bought the building for us, we were able to continue operating the shul, the Santon Central Shul, our Chabad Goodness and Kindness Center right there in the heart of Santon and a great location right across the Chow train station. Talked about the different activities we have on offer there, the various shiurim year-round and the minyanim. Then I passed by, whether it was across my shul, whether it was Village Walk, which is across from where I live, whether all around the streets of Santon, and I notice they take beautiful, magnificent, wonderful buildings and then knocking them down. And it's strange. Why are you knocking down fine-looking good buildings? You think about it. You look at what's happening. And in fact, you still could today. You take a walk in Santon, and you are going to encounter what is going on over there, various construction sites. And you walk under these makeshift uh, canopy, whatever it is, the machinery. You, you see the cranes, all the noise. And... You wonder, what is this? What's going on? All this mess. Why would they take Village Walk, which to me appeared to be a fine shopping center in the heart of Santon? Why are they knocking it down? And then you realize that next week they are going to unveil and open a brand new building, which they renamed from Village Walk. They call it now the Mark, which actually stands for the, uh, the Maud and Ravonia Corner. That's the location. A beautiful, probably the Pearl, one of the most outstanding, iconic new buildings in Santon. And yes, there's going to be new office space. They restructured it, probably figured out how to utilize the space better than they did previously. I don't know the exact reason. But to me, that illustrates a very, a very interesting idea that here you see demolition completely destroying the building. And a whole new building comes up. The last time I was in New York, very recently, I finally got to see the World Trade Center. Now, I want to share something that some people know, but I was in, I was on the 106th floor 
of the Twin Towers on the 11th of September, 2001. Yep. I was there at about 2 a.m. That's only six hours before the terrible tragedy that happened that day. So many lives were lost in the terror attack that became famously known as 9-11. In fact, when I was at shul a few hours later, at 9 o'clock in the morning, davening shachris, and somebody said, did you hear what happened? I said, can't be. I was just there a couple hours ago. Couldn't believe it. And then, of course, there was the cleaning the rubble. There was ground zero. There was all the debris. And it was a terrible, incoherent mess and clouds of dust and chaos there for a really long time. And now, well, it's a good 17 years, nearly 17 years later, there's this new magnificent structure standing in its place, the Freedom Tower. I would love to see the Twin Towers back up, but I guess they didn't ask me for my opinion. But here you see a whole new elegant building arise from that site of destruction, from that site of chaos. And yes, we are promised that a future temple will be built, please God, peacefully in the not-too-distant or the very near future. But I think it's very relevant to our own lives as well to think about what is the construction site in our own personal life. Because sometimes you look at yourself. I won't talk about you. I'll talk about me. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we see messy, chaotic, incoherent mess. And there's, so to say, this debris, problems, failed relationships, the dust of missed opportunities, whatever personal challenges that a person's going through. And we wonder what elegance could be constructed from that kind of disorderly life. If my life is such a mess, how will I ever get it back together? Well, you could look at Israel. Yes, the Jewish state, the Jewish people, the nation of the Jews have been exiled from our land and they tried to rename our land all types of names. Jerusalem was recalled. They changed it to Kapitalia. They they, they recalled Israel, Palestine. But to us, it was always Israel. And Jews always prayed toward Jerusalem. In our prayers every day, we prayed about Zion, Zion. Today, it's like a forbidden word. So many Jews are embarrassed of the word Zion. We have to be proud of Zion. That is where we come from. Zion, returning to our Holy Land. Jerusalem was always the capital of the Jewish people. L'shana habab Yerushalayim. And yes, now when I return to Israel, we get to see that vibrant rejuvenation, pun intended. And then we wonder about our own lives and we think, how could I make any, how can I fix up the mess of my own life? And indeed, I think here is a very important and powerful lesson that we could all apply in our lives. That just as we see in Santon, these buildings that come, that, being, that are knocked down and are reconstructed and turned into these beautiful new iconic buildings restructured in a way that probably they're going to make a lot more profit that makes it worthwhile for them to take down a magnificent building like like the one at Village Walk and so many others. I remember the old Alexander Forbes and Ernst and & Young and look at Discovery. You look at these new magnificent buildings popping up everywhere. I want you to think, and we'll be back to talk more about this in our remaining few minutes, about what structures in your life you feel are failing and how you could turn them into, turn that chaos 
into something new, magnificent, brilliant in your life. Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. And welcome back. It's great to be with you here. And we're just finally spending our remaining nine minutes to talk a little bit about how we could make some kind of order of the chaos in our life. Just as we talk about the chaos of what has come of Jerusalem, we talk about the various buildings being renovated around town. Let's think about our own lives as well. Do you think there are times where you failed? And some people feel if they failed, they feel like a miserable failure. Well, for that, Jewish teachings say failure is not falling down. Failure is when you stay down. We as a Jewish people just learn from our history. We never allowed ourselves to stay down. Yes, we've had ups and downs and many, many of them throughout our history. But we kept on getting ourselves up. We cleaned up from whatever dust we were able to and we got back up again. We did whatever it takes to fix up that mess, to do the next thing. Think about how the miracle of the return to Israel under Jewish governance and independence now for 70 years, an amazing and miraculous return indeed. So now let's think about the destruction of our temple. Halacha says that destruction is only allowed when it's done with the intent of actually building something else in its place. Otherwise, it's considered baltashchis unnecessary destruction. So you can only knock your house down if you're going to build up something better in its place. And actually, that's what, <coughs> excuse me, that's what the Talmud says, that the only reason God destroyed the temple or allowed the temple to be destroyed was so a much better one could come in its place. Now, I would say that if we look at ourselves as well, and we think about the moments of chaos. What happens when a person really experiences a bad loss in their life? They lose a human being, a member of their family. And unfortunately, I see too often that's something because I deal with elderly people. It's something I'm engaged with very frequently. The words of comfort that we offer to a mourner is that God should the, con- the condolence message is God should come from them amongst the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. Again, we mention the destruction of the temple. We talk about, in a person's personal pain in their life, we talk about the destruction of Zion and Yerushalayim. And I think if we want to take a lesson of that for our own personal life, something that I share with, with nearly every mourner who I have to comfort in whatever way, And what I like to tell them is, if you think about Jerusalem, it may be nearly 2,000 years since our temple was destroyed, 1,948 years tomorrow, yet we have never forgotten. And what I tell people going through a personal loss is don't forget. That doesn't only have to apply to the losses of an individual in our lives. When King David made a mistake, how did he prevent himself from, from falling again? Well, he said, summit. He said, that sin I committed is always before me. Meaning, I will do whatever it takes. And he truly repented to ensure that it doesn't happen again. 
if we think about whatever regressions and pitfalls and, and, and challenges we face in our life. But they create room for our personal growth if we learn the lessons from them. And every person finds that message in their own unique way. But Tisha B'Av is exactly about that. Just as our temple was destroyed, and we know our sages tell us because of baseless hatred, we know that to reverse it, we require a lot more serious, unconditional love. It's necessary, and it's important. As difficult and challenging as it is, it can't just be a lip service. So, yes, we still mourn for the temple. And this Shabbos, although we're going to eat on Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, but we're going to fast on Saturday night and Sunday. We still mourn for the temple. We still feel the sting of its destruction. We know why we lost it. But that doesn't prevent us from acknowledging that the loss of the temple created space for actually a whole new relationship with God, which, by the way, is not limited to the temple anymore. And one could apply the same thing to any personal loss that a soul that's not in any way limited by a body any longer, of course, we prefer to have our loved ones with us. But if you think about the daily challenges we have, even our monumental ones, you could see them as windows of opportunity. You could see within it an opportunity of growth. What did Mark Twain say? Name the greatest of all inventors. Who's the greatest of all inventors? You know what Mark Twain said? Accident. You know what the Zohar says? Weeping is lodged in this side of my heart, joy in the other. And the point the Zohar is saying is the complexity of our lives is that these hard moments contain different connotations. There is the raw hurt of whatever difficulty and challenge or failure we experienced, the blade that slices through the earth, and then there's the possibility for advancement, the field of seeds. When Village Walk came down, to me it looked quite sad, a place where I spent so much time where we had a shul. But now I look at this beautiful new building that's come in its place. The second message I take from the condolence message is that, remember, it was only the bricks and mortar of the temple that was destroyed. When I was in Jerusalem last week, exactly a week ago today, I walked the site of where the holy temple stood. And there you could see the rubble. You could see the boulders. You could see what the Romans just couldn't destroy. You could see so many of those of those bricks the stones of the temple, you see it all there. Yet the spirit of the temple still lies within each of us, in our shuls, in our homes. And of course, you could say the same for the loss of a loved one. A third message is that when we are mourning, and usually I can't say that this is actually all the time, because unfortunately, sometimes I don't see very many people come to the sh- to the funeral or the shiva. But when we do have people coming, we know that the the community shares in the loss of an individual, and I think it's important for us to be there. Of course, we say hamakam yanachem because only God could truly comfort. But each of us has to play our part, our role as well, of being a support to our friends in their times of need. But remember that. Your loss is a loss for the entire community. And that's why we're all part of it. And that's why all Jews mourn for Zion and Jerusalem. But we also celebrate. We know that in Tisha B'av we're told Mashiach is also born in the rubble of the destruction. And that is what I say. That's the message that I wanted to share with you today. The morning that comes after the morning. Well, one morning is with a you.
I'm talking about getting up and not just staying down. Don't stay down. Failure is staying down. Don't stay down. Get back up, dust yourself, and start again. And that, I think, is the most important message we could take from Tisha B'Av, that we as a Jewish people have began to rebuild our future. We've done whatever it takes. We're back in the Holy Land. Yes, it's complex. I agree. And there are challenges and probably lots of them. We haven't resolved them all yet. But the point is that in those very empty spaces, we rebuild towering lights. That's what we see in Santon with the new buildings. That's what we see in town in Joburg. That's what I saw in Israel, the rebirth. And that's what you could see in your own life. Whatever difficulty or challenge you're going through, recognize it and see how will I fix it and make it much better. And so it will serve as a springboard for growth from that very hardship and difficulty. My friends, I hope that this Tisha above. We won't have sadness. Certainly we'll eat and rejoice because it's Shabbos. But please God, the Shana Habab, Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem, Carpe Diem, all the best.